There was a time when the world was so young, there had not yet been a sunrise, but even then, there was light. Hello, welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, the show where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. Uh, I am joined by my wonderful co-host today, Isildur, aka Michael Rowland. Well, you sure gave me a, an honorable character that dies. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and I'm here with uh, your favorite co-host and mine, Jen Gallagher, a.k.a. Nori Brandyfoot. <gasps> oh, she is adorable. I mean, have characters. you seen a more adorable little face? That little face is so angelic. I just love it. I have seen a more adorable face, and it was on that little inting we saw in the last teaser. You so didn't will... see its face. so y- y- You know what? <laughs> you know what? I didn't Maybe need to. the next I didn't trailer. Need to. <laughs> that little ending was cuter than my own children. Okay, that thing was. Whoa! Just... <laughs> you can name the next one Treebeard. That's your next kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure Amy will go for that. <laughs> oh, but today is a glorious day. A glorious day. Glorious. The day that we knew was coming. We knew that there was something coming today. A teaser, and yet we were still surprised because mm. we were expecting. I was expecting. Another teaser, another one-minute teaser for two reasons. One, the last teaser said it would be a teaser. New teaser coming July 14th. And two, the teaser had been leaked. I saw the teaser that was supposed to come out today, the Spanish-language version of it. It was leaked for like 10 seconds, and, you know, that's long enough for it to live forever on the Internet. And I got my hands on a copy, and so I'd seen it. And then I wake up this morning, and nope, nope, it ain't that teaser that I was expecting. It was a full-length trailer, two and a half minutes give or take uh, two minutes and 31 seconds. And it is just glorious. So yes, good. Chock full of wonderful little nuggets uh, and so much more dialogue than we've gotten before. Yes. We got some yeah. real dialogue, which we're yeah. going to talk all about. We have so much to get to folks. Yeah. There's a lot of fat on this trailer and we are going to chew the hell out of it today. Um, last, you know, and I thought just more surprises last night, like in the evening, they dropped two articles with more pictures, Numenor pictures. So I was like, oh, man, tomorrow is going to be a big day because we're going to have this one-minute teaser to talk about and, you know, these two articles from entertainment with these great images. And now that we've got a full trailer, I, we can't talk about all that. So we're going to save the Numenor articles for our next discussion, um, which we'll have shortly, either tomorrow or the next day, and we'll, and we'll um, release it shortly after that. And today we're just going to devote the entire time to this trailer and, you know, I think back on our last episode or where we went through a one minute teaser and we talked for a little over an hour and now we've got two and a half, <laughs> two and a half minute tra- trailer. So I think we're uh, going to go for about three, three, four hours today. Three hour <laughs> tour. Buggle up, everyone. Buggle <laughs> up. Cancel all your plans. This is the most important thing for you to do today. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, we are not, we are notoriously long winded, but- no, you know waste. what? In the realm of Tolkien podcasts, Tolkien con- content creators, I do not think we are on the like bad end of the spectrum in terms of long-windedness because there will always be the Tolkien professor out there to put everyone to shame. <laughs> That's right. Are we you the know? longest podcast? No. But are we the best podcast? Also, no. No, just kidding. We're the best combination of like pretty good and talk too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Lest we waste one more second. Okay, so let's tackle this the same way we did the last time. 
the music. Um, and I think, you know, you had a hot take on the last one. and You said, not a fan of the music you got in that teaser. I have a hunch that maybe you have a slightly different feeling this time around. Um, yes, I loved that they snuck in the little Lothlorien theme for a second. Um, I love... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the scene with Galadriel, that was perfect. Mm -hmm. And I got very excited by that. Also, I love the vocalist, whoever is singing. I'm not sure who it is. Um, But beautiful, beautiful uh, singing voice. I love the lyrics. Um, The lyrics... I've heard from some other folks on the broken sword, I think said this and the fellowship also mentioned that this could be part of a tree beard mm-hmm. song. So there's a tree beard song. Um, it's actually the song that the, um, the ends sing to the ant wives. Um, or it could be inspired wives, yeah. or about the ant wives. It could be inspired by that song. Some of these lyrics, because it's not directly from any Tolkien uh, song that we get, but um, it certainly sounds very Tolkienian, which I think is what matters. Um, and it's beautiful, raw, raw vocals without too many yeah. effects. And there right. were a lot of songs in the, in the Howard Shore soundtrack very, that were very similar. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really pleased with that. Uh, what did you think? No, absolutely. And you know, the big gripe that uh, we kind of identified from the last time, not a gripe, but like something we kind of nailed down maybe what you didn't like about the music. You thought it was too modern. It's not as thematic. You know, what we got in the teaser wasn't as thematic as Howard Shore's melodies, which are very just like clean, simple themes that you can sing to yourself. And we didn't, that was not the type of music we got in that teaser, but we have that here. You know, like you said, we have that familiar theme, you know, that had played in uh, Rivendell from the Peter Jackson film. So they are, and I'm little sidebar digression. I'm not sure how that relationship works because those films are not owned by Amazon. They don't have the rights to that, you know, to that material. That's still New Line Cinema. Um, so that's under separate ownership. And I would have assumed that all the music from the films would be wrapped up in that same ownership package. Uh, so even though Howard Shore is coming over to, to write new music for this show, I would have expected that all of his old music from the films would not be available. Um, and I hadn't really thought through that too much in, until now, but that really was kind of my underlying expectation. Uh, just, hey, these are separate. How are they Are they going to be able to sneak in themes? And now we know for sure they will be able to bring in themes from those films. I'm not sure what kind of deals they struck, how they made that happen. Um, I'm surprised that anybody in this world would give up valuable intellectual property rights to a competitor. It has to be under three seconds. So we'll get the Shire theme. It'll be like, do 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 and that's all we get <laughs> right, right, in the next right, trailer. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I like, and I, you know, I know you're joking there, but I would kind of like it to be limited in that way. I do want to hear these snippets, you know, this nostalgia, but I don't want it to be a straight up copycat. You know, I don't want yeah, it to no, nobody wants just that. be a rehashing of the themes we've already gotten. But, you know, little quotes, um, just sort of quoting the themes from the other movies, kind of like, you know, a rap remix. You, you would quote samples from <laughs> Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I want that. But then it kind of goes off in a new direction because this is a new age, new characters, new stories. Um, right. So we don't want to rely too heavily on the themes from the old films because they just don't fit here. It is different. But um, it was nice to hear a theme and a familiar one. So I, I, I like that. And then it goes into a new theme, as you said, very simple vocals. And I spotted the Treebeard connection as well 
listeners to our last episode will remember that I had an axe to grind about the design of Ents, and so I read some quotes from the Treebeard chapter. So I had just read through that chapter, and the the line that people are saying it's related to. So in the trailer, the lyrics go, "Come to me, come to me, lands far away, for I must go wandering this wandering day." Now the lines that are similar from the two towers, it's when Treebeard is saying in English a song, an elvish song about the Ents and the Entwives. And I'll just read like the first uh, little stanza here. When spring unfolds the beech and leaf and sap is in the bough, when light is on the wildwood stream and wind is on the brow, when stride is long and breath is deep and keen the mountain air, come back to me, come back to me and say, my land is fair. So that come back to me, come back to me, because my land is fair and say my land is fair is kind of similar to come to me, come to me lands far away. But there's obviously some differences so like here in the end song, they're singing to another person, the ant wives and saying, come back to my lands. Um, whereas in the lyrics here, it's come to me, come to me lands far away. So this is a traveler's song. So really uh, this isn't an Elvish song. It's, it's in English, obviously. So it's not sung in Elvish. I think this is a, a human song or really a Harfoot song because we know the Harfoots are travelers. Um, but it, it evokes sort of deeper melancholy and deeper themes about Middle Earth somehow. To me, it evoked such a Hobbit um, theme, thinking about yeah. the Hobbits and the fact that they're nomadic at this point in time and also wandering and going, the road goes ever on and on. All these themes come up a lot with the Hobbits and Bilbo. And um, yeah, to right. me, it was... it that's sort of what it what it brought to mind for me at the forefront of my mind and ending on the shot with the hobbits wandering away uh the harfoots was really powerful actually and um again people are gonna have maybe issues that oh people who have issues with the hobbits in this series are just gonna have continue to have them but um Mm -hmm. i liked it i was i was pretty into it so yeah shall we yeah shall we move to broader themes broader themes go what story is this trailer telling? I mean, for me, I think they spent maybe the most time on that Galadriel, obviously. I think she's our anchor character, and um, it's going to be a narrative primarily, even though there's going to be lots of other characters and lots of other storylines, it's clear from that dialogue between she and Elrond that they're setting her up as, as a very big protagonist the main protagonist and um that she is on this quest to sniff out evil and extinguish it she knows sauron is not done Uh, morgoth is not done and um i a lot of people had issues with the scene between she and elrond i i liked it it passed the bullshit test for me or just the test of is the dialogue going to be on point? Is it going to be cheesy? Is it going to be? Is it going to sound invented because they don't have a, necessarily a script to go off of for a lot of this stuff? And I thought both the actors were really fantastic. Um, it is a very different relationship than what you would see in the books. Um, when you stop and think about the fact that he's speaking to his mother-in-law, it's very, it's very different. <laughs> It changes well, things, she, but I. But you know, I she's not it. his mother-in-law yet at this point. No, in the age, she's not yet. Yeah, yeah. It, not for a a while. So, mm-hmm. um, I liked her as the focal point. I consider her sort of the focal point of of the trailer. 
and um, I think she's going to be a real powerhouse character. I 100% agree, and I think we've known for a while that Galadriel will be a focus. Uh, you know, we've known that. That's one of the first things we learned, I think, was that Galadriel was going to be their central main protagonist. Um, there are a lot of main characters in the show, but that she would be like the biggest with the most focus. And, yeah. um, and that certainly bears out in this trailer. You know, she is like the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring, Kate Blanchett giving the, the initial voiceover. She's the one who gives us our first voiceover in this trailer, you know, and she, and her voiceover, these words, there was a time when the world was so young, uh, there had not yet been a sunrise, but even then there was light. So that's, you know, hearkening back to the first age, Galadriel mm-hmm. is our memory, right? And she is the one who's telling us about the ancient days. She's giving us all that that history. And I've sort of, I kind of think of the depth, the history, as another character in in the you know Middle Earth Legendarium. That is an attribute of Tolkien stories that is really really important to find a way to include. How do you create the illusion of depth? And you got to, you know, obviously there is depth. There's the, all the first age and the years of the trees. And so you find a way to use that material to create the illusion of depth for the story that you're telling in the time that you're telling. So Lord of the Rings, we had all that. I mean, you know, it's in the third age. So there, a lot of the depth came from early third age, but also second age and very, very, very tiny glimpses of the first age. Here we're in the second age, and we have to have this, like, you know, first age depth. And it seems like it's Galadriel that is going to be our memory, going to be the person who is, I mean, maybe not in the show. It's going to be throughout the show. But in this trailer, she is the one who's playing that role. She's going to be uh, the framing. She's going to be our mm-hmm. guide through this journey for right. a lot of it. But, man, I love that voiceover at the beginning. Yeah, I just, it, it we is should good. just start there. It's yeah. perfect. It's And I love the shot. Of just it's well delivered too. Well delivered. Very well delivered. Very good. I mean, such nostalgia for the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, even that shot, close up shot of her eyes is straight from Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, it's <laughs> right, the same right. shot. But right. I like that they're doing that. I think they're 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 not gonna they haven't thus far overused it. So it's yeah. still very effective to yeah. have, you know, these um little winks to the audience like that. Right, right. So, and then we get some Harfoot stuff, but let's kind of skip over that and stick with Galadriel for now. So the next time we see Galadriel, she's in this conversation with, with Elrond. And that is really important because, okay, Galadriel's our memory, Galadriel's our main character. And then the next dialogue we have is her in conflict with a person, another person we know is going to be a main character, Elrond. He's saying, you know, put up your sword. And so we've had hints um, through various leaks that a central storyline in this show is going to be that Galadriel is not done fighting. Everyone else thinks evil is extinguished forever. Galadriel doesn't believe it. And she's saying there's still something out that we have to fight. And so this is that scene that kind of really confirms that. Elrond saying, you can chill out now. You know, the fight is over. Put up your sword. You fought long enough. And you can kind of read in the subtext there. He's going like, you're kind of nuts. You're kind of paranoid. Like you, you can't let go of the battle. And Galadriel's saying, no, there is more. You know, you haven't seen what I've seen. And in terms of the, you know, the BS test that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I 100% agree. I liked that dialogue. She says to him, you know, you haven't seen what I've seen. And he says, mm-hmm. I've seen enough. I just love the response where she just repeats the same line. You haven't seen what I've seen. And just emphasizes it in a different way. I just like that. It's simple dialogue. It feels natural. 
you know so i i like that i like it when the dialogue is simple enough that it gives the actors room to use their inflection and their you know their delivery to imbue those lines with meaning rather than trying to just shove in a bunch of like exposition into every line, you know, which they, is always tempting, especially in a sure. world as thick as, as Tolkien's. And I think, you know, when you think about Elrond in the book, of course he is ancient also. Galadriel is older, but he he would not have said something necessarily like this. The, this relationship would be is different in the books. It's going to be different on screen. But, you know, Jackson, the Jackson films changed a lot of characters and a lot of relationships between characters. They really changed Aragorn's relationship with Elrond. And um, I think it worked. And so I don't think I think um, this could definitely work. I'm not so... I'm not so downcast that they've changed, um, you know, that relationship and sort of created that tension between them because I think it's a really smart way to sort of introduce the plot and introduce our characters in this, set up their set up the conflict using Elrond and Galadriel, who are both very, very important. Shifting to Elrond, I've really liked what I've seen about Elrond. I, I think the actor has done great. I, I you know setting aside the looks like I I don't really care. We have to said this before. I don't really care about the looks because once the actor is acting, if they're a good actor, they're going to be that character, you know, and the fact they have short hair or blonde hair or whatever it is that didn't quite measure up to your headcanon, that all just fades in the background. And now this person becomes that character. And uh, Robert Arameo, what little we've seen has looked great. His delivery is very strong. You can see a, a character who is proud, noble, um, and I don't mean proud in a bad way, but also uh, you sense some youth here because yeah. he is sort of talking up to his elder. So he, he's like, I think he's obviously earned a place of respect to be able to talk so candidly with Galadriel. He's mm-hmm. walking around with Gilgalad, but clearly Gilgalad has a different view than him as well. And we, we see this in this trailer, you know, and we learned from some other articles. And Gilgalad, like Galadriel, suspects that evil is spreading in the world again. Uh, right. And we, you know, remember that from uh, the story of Eldarion Arendus that we spent six episodes going through. It ended with Gil-galad sending a letter to the Numenorian king saying, "There is a new power rising. We need your help." So Gil-galad was right. on top of it. He was very much on top of it. So it's Gil-galad and Galadriel who suspect that there is still something amiss in this world, whereas others, Elrond, we know Celebrimbor. You know, their um, their guards are down and that leaves them a little more vulnerable. Now, Elrond comes around. We know from the lore that he comes around and he's Gil-Galad's second in command. But Celebrimbor continues to be vulnerable and, you know, that's the weak spot. So this tension between the elves that know, who's maybe, who are maybe a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little more suspicious, they know that evil's still around and those that aren't, that's going to be a huge a huge plot line, a huge point of tension throughout the story. And Galadriel, I think is going to be the focal point of that because yeah. unlike Gilgalad, who's stationary in one place and he's the King Galadriel doesn't have a realm to rule necessarily. Um, even though I, I, I assume she's going to be respected and revered, you know, have a place of honor amongst the elves. She's moving around and she's fighting. And so she's got her band that she's leading from place to place. And so she's going to be the active party going around and trying to hunt out evil. So, I, I like that storyline that we're seeing so far. And she's a great character to explore all that stuff with. Absolutely. Yes. I, I think 
there's a sub theme there that's being touched on. And I had some good exchanges exchanges with some folks on Twitter about this, but I've said before on, on previous episodes that one of the most uh, unexplored aspects of the second age is the trauma that surely has stayed with the elves that stayed and all the people, you know, the war of wrath was a calamity. Half of the continent is under the sea. Everyone's friends and family died and they, you know, everyone who survived, they saw them die in terrible ways. And so Tolkien wrote in the, in the uh, Lord of the Rings, one of the themes is sort of the, the effects of war. And he was uh, a veteran himself, veteran of World War One, one of the most horrible wars we've ever had. And so that theme works its way into his, into his stories, the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. Surely, if ever there was a time to explore like PTSD, you know, the, the trauma of war and battle, it would be through the storylines of, you know, coming out of the first age, coming out of the War of Wrath and in the second age. Because you can't honestly engage with a story about the elves after the War of Wrath and not contemplate the trauma that they have lived through yeah. um, and, and how they deal with that. And so you can see that maybe a little bit here. Galadriel has seen a lot of war from mm-hmm. the first, you know, from the first kinslaying all the way through to the War of Wrath. She's seen it all. You know, whether she, yeah. or not she's actually in the battle, she's been in, she's been around and she's seen a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad juju. Um, oh, yeah. And so Elrond's a, a bit younger and he, yeah, he saw the War of Wrath, but he didn't see a lot of the stuff that came before. And right. so he's maybe a little too quick to set aside that stuff and Galadriel's still deal, dealing with that pain. You know, all of her brothers died in the Dagger Bragalak, right? That's I mean, right. Brothers died. Most of her cousins all gone. The sons of Feanor were the agents of a lot of chaos in Middle Earth, and she was related to them, and they're all gone. You know, so it's a it's a scar. Yeah, there's a reason she is. They're they're thinking she is hell bent on sniffing out what has been the culprit of her suffering for so long. Yeah. May, they may be dismissing it. Like you're just in, in too much pain. So we're not going to take you seriously. You know, you're paranoid because of what you've been through mm-hmm. and they're not giving it enough credence. Um, and so I, that's another thing I want to point out. So a lot of people have kind of been bumping on the fact that Galadriel, we know that she's going to be a younger, maybe less mature, more hot headed Galadriel. And a lot of people don't like that. Perhaps understandably, because they're like, that's not the Galadriel we got in the Third Age. And so it's not familiar, and Galadriel's supposed to be regal and super wise. And so the idea of getting a hot-headed Galadriel, that, and I, people would naturally associate hot-headed with less wise, they're bumping on that. They don't like that. But I think the version we're getting here is she's maybe a little more aggressive in terms of her willingness to act, but she's also more perceptive, you know, mm-hmm. right? She is correct that there is still evil in this world. You know, she's not wrong. She's seeing things that the other elves aren't. And so she's still got that wisdom. She's still got that foresight. And yeah, maybe she's a little more hot-headed, so she's willing to act. So that's aspect of her personality is different, but it doesn't come from a place of childishness. You know, she's not, you know, 16-year-old Galadriel who's rebelling. That's not the version we're getting here. We're getting mm-hmm. a very lively, um, ready-to-battle Galadriel, but st- who still has a lot of the the wisdom and insight that we would expect from a, a character of her standing. Yes. I'm, I mean, you have to see the evolution. We need to see the evolution happen. Yeah. She didn't just wake up and was a wise regal queen of Lothlorien. You know, she, she got right. there by having lived and seen all that she'd seen. Um, yeah. 
And so I, I'm personally excited to see the the evolution of Galadriel. Yeah. So another thematic. So that's half of it. I think Galadriel and Elrond and Gilgalad. Oh, side note. I love Benjamin Walker's delivery. I think his oh, acting has yeah. been great, too. Yes. Benjamin Walker is an elf, as far as I'm concerned. Look yeah. at him in his crown. He's got that big old gold crown. Yeah. He is... You know, he's got the face shape, like the long, pointed, sharp feature. He's perfect. Yeah, I th- I think it's great. And his delivery on the, you know, he says, it will not, it's very, like, heavy. It will be the end, not just for our people. You know, like, you, the P's are emphasized, and there's, like, so there's some weight to the delivery. Darkness will march over the face of the earth. It will be the end, not just of our people. So I just think it's great. You know, I'm getting I'm getting too deep into the pronunciation, but it works for me. It's so powerful. It's important. Um, okay, so we got the elves and that storyline, but we also see the Harfoots. Uh, so even though Galadriel gave us the voiceover, it shifts very quickly to the Harfoots. And so again, we've talked about this. How prevalent are the Harfoots going to be in the show? Um, are they going to be a primary storyline? We've been led to believe from articles that they're going to be kind of a side plot. Again, uh, compared to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Hamlet, you know, um, sort of a merry, fun, kind of a bit of a comedic side plot, but with some heart, right? Rosencrantz right. and Guildenstern. But they're very, very prevalent in all the um, all the teasers and trailers. Now, one explanation for that could be that, hey, if you're trying to attract people with a more casual understanding of Middle Earth, you got to include some hobbits, Um in the marketing materials to pull them in, right? That's something familiar. Same as like a wizard would be something familiar because people associate wizards and hobbits with Middle Earth. So, okay, maybe they're getting overrepresented in this trailer for marketing purposes. So that could be an explanation. Um, But it's hard to know. It feels like thematically their travels, their wandering, their setting out and trying to uh, find a wider world is... It feels like thematically that is an important part of what the show is going to bring us. Definitely. Um, so and I'm I'll be interested in that. Will they found the Shire? I'm curious if we would see them, you know, settle at some point in the series, and um, that would be that would be cool. I I could get into that if they. I yeah. I wonder. Um, I mean, it, if if they do, it would have to be I think at the very 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 end after the. War of the Last Alliance, you know, the destruction of Sauron, because to be true to the lore, they didn't uh, settle the Shire until well into the Third Age. Now, okay, they're going to do time compression, so it's possibly very likely that they're not going to care about that fact, and they'll just, you know, move it up to the start of the Third Age. I would hope that they would leave it at least till, you know, after the War of the Last Alliance so that it's end of Second Age, early Third Age, and that can kind of be like the, the ending of the Harfoot story is you know we see their travels through all the second age or you know whatever however long the show is going to be in terms of actual years maybe we'll get a new crop of harfoots by the end maybe it'll be the same harfoots i would bet it'll be the same just for continuity of character and you know nori brandyfoot will be an old woman maybe at the end of the series you know and and as part of the group that settles the shire i don't know that could be an interesting ending I what I liked the what did you think of the dialogue um the uh, suddenly the accent switch and we get the dialogue of um you know the 
Parfoot describing, you know, dwarves have their caves or mines. And yeah, elves have forests to protect, dwarves their mines, men their fields you. of grain. And it sounds like a very Irish other. accent to me. Yeah, 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 a little bit. A light Irish, yeah. But we I mean, not that I can place. have each other. Yeah. We're safe. So again, you know, hearkening back to like the, they always feel, hobbits feel sheltered from the world and when we see them. So we get some, we also get a little glimpse into the, the Numenorean plot line. So the past is with us all. The past is dead, Elendil says. We either move forward or we die with it. I thought that was interesting. Erendir being an elf would have a different connection to the past. You know, he, he's mm. serially longevil. He's immortal. So he would have lived a long time and he would carry all those memories with him. You know, right. El- it said that elves, their memories are like waking dreams in a, in a way. They can kind of step into their memories and live in them in a way that we can't, that moral men can't. And so the elves would carry the past with them in a way that not only mortal men can't, but can't afford to. So elves are always looking back. That's sort of a feature of the fading elves in the second age. And especially in the third age, they're always trying to arrest change and stop it from happening. So we can, and and go back to the first age when things were good. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're trying to stop the growth and decay, which is actually part of what makes them vulnerable to Sauron, right? Because it's not right for them to stop change. Change is natural. Change is all part of Ariel Lubitar's plan. So the elves should not be trying to do that, but that is kind of in their nature. And they, so they fall victim to that desire to stop change. Men are different and men can change and evolve and, and um, have to embrace change in a way that elves don't because their lives are short. So they can't dwell in the past. They have to move forward. So um, maybe I'm reading too much into these lines, but it, it touched on to me. We get, I think we're getting a glimpse at tip of the iceberg of the difference between the elvish attitude and the mortal man attitude, which we know is going to be a huge part of the tension oh, for the yeah. entire five seasons. You know, the, the dealing with mortality and the theme of death and mortality is central, the most central theme to, to Tolkien's work and especially to this second age plot line. So I think these lines are just a part of that tapestry. Part of that tapestry and also setting up the, the Numenorian plot big time. Yeah. You know, that tension between the faithful and Farazone, our Farazone's men and the elves, all of that is is all connected. Uh, which, by the way, the, the shots of our Farazone are so rendering just the, the colors and the excitement. And you can, th- there's that really interesting shot where he's delivering a speech and people are cheering and are holding what looks to be scrolls or something. We, we, we were trying to zoom in earlier and say, is that a log? People holding wood? kind of looks like scrolls to me right um a lot of people on their way to the library got caught up in this in this uh (laughs) spontaneous speech yeah we're just not really sure but i think watching you know our fair zone kind of rise to power and wind up the people of numenor is going is it's becoming clear that that's going to be a major part of this season um, and that actor, may I just say, like he looks perfect to me with the the beard, the evil, menacing looking beard. He looks great. <laughs> I think we'll get to that, you know, when we talk about the still shots and in another yeah. episode. But um, I yeah. love the visuals there of the Numenorean peoples, the family, and um, just the scenes in Numenor with with Arfair's own. 
Yeah, and, and you know, we'll talk more about Farazon, but uh, I agree. He looks right in a way that I didn't expect. I, in my mind's eye, I always imagined a slightly younger, certainly not bearded uh, uh, character, maybe like a short cropped beard, but not like this big bushy, like white beard. So he's a bit older than I would have expected. But when I saw him, I was like, yeah, actually this feels right, you know, because he's in the, he's at an age where he's vigorous still. Mm-hmm. Like he's not an old man by any, any means. He's like a very vigorous adult, but it starts at just the right time because over the course of the five years, you know, again, I'm not sure how much time is supposed to elapse over the five seasons, but by the end of the fifth season, it will be very believable that this, this Farazone that's starting kind of vigorous, but mature will be old enough that he's going to be like really clinging to his life and desperate to claim the undying lance in order to claim immortality. Right. Um, So I was like, Oh, actually this is kind of the perfect look. Hey, have you heard about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique? So I just pulled up their website to have a look right now, and I am seeing bookmarks, earrings, uh, jewelry, art prints, um, cards. I see uh, Fantastic Four. I see Moon Knight. Wheel of Time is here. Star Wars. Lots and lots of fandoms. Lots of really gorgeous artwork. Lots of collectibles. Things to hang on your wall. Definitely a site worth checking out. And of course, Lord of the Ring things as well. So definitely check them out. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's number four, cats with a K, number four, Four Cats Boutique. Check them out. I have new respect for DW's job. Yes. Oh my gosh. We're starting to get into the images now, so let's go ahead and take a look at them. So I think the first thing we've got to do is look at the money shot. You know, it, it starts off and the two trees like holy moly beautiful like we caught a glimpse of the two trees in the background Mm -hmm. of that still image the very first still image that was ever released and i i thought it was i thought it was a painting honestly i thought it was a painting or some sort of like cgi thing but this is going to be like a part of the show it looks like we see the character walking up the slopes and then we see the next shot which is a much uh, more up close view of the trees and it is just outrageously beautiful. Yeah, man, those are some big trees. <laughs> those are some big trees. <laughs> it's stunning, and I think you know it's it's got to be a flashback. So people were in the series, and you know when we first saw these, wondering about it. But um, yeah, I a think flashback give... or part of a prologue episode. You know, of... least it, the first two episodes might be kind of first AG prologue, like prologue heavy prologue heavy but yeah beautiful i'm so glad those are depicted because they're actually so important in the books um and yeah that shot's beautiful i i I still think you know the cgi we know now based on the article that not all of this show is cgi they took great pains to make obsessive detail and built real sets so that inspires a lot of confidence that even though we get really a lot of CGI here, it looks beautiful. It doesn't yeah. look uh, tacky or distasteful. It looks really good. No, it looks very, very good. Um, yeah, I never, ex- I really didn't expect to get this much first age. And we'll talk about this more in some of the future, the other scenes we're going to see in this trailer. But stuff we've seen in the past, you know, we know we get a shot of Finrod at some first age battle. Um. You know, we see the two trees. Even that, there's those two things that we already knew we were getting. I was like, man, that's a lot of first age they're getting because we, 
they don't have the rights to the first age proper, like to the Silmarillion. And they would kind of have to go back to the Tolkien estate on a case-by-case basis to to rope in some of the first age stuff. So I, I really didn't expect to get that much. And I was kind of okay with that. I was like, all right, we're going to tell a second age story and there will be references to the first age, but those will be our te- textual ruins. We won't see them. And I was okay with that. Like someday we'll get a Silmarillion. Don't even have it now. But I think we are going to get a lot of first age stuff. I mean, we're seeing the two trees, mm-hmm. um, something I never thought I would see, but it is, I'm glad that we are because it is gorgeous. And, um, I, you know, in my mind's eye, I never imagined the trees to be this big. I don't know about you. I, I guess I imagine they'd be like bigger than normal trees, but these are like, you well, know, they light as the big world. As a city. So I, yeah. d- I actually <laughs> did imagine them as big. But not the entire world. They they light Amon. They light Valinor. Like their light doesn't extend to Middle Earth. Mm. Um, certainly, yeah, you're right. I mean, okay, that's still a whole country. <laughs> it's still like a whole continent that that is lighting up. So fine, fine. Of course, they had to be big. But you know, magic trees. A little tree could be could light up a continent if it's magical, right? I don't know. Even but, the smallest uh, of trees can change the course <laughs> of the future. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Moving right along. This is cool. Yeah. This is All right, really cool. so we, and I'm trying to scroll through here to find a good shot. All right, so the next shot we see a group, a band of what looks to be like this could be the same group that was just shown running across the river. I didn't count the figures, but it looks like it could be the same group. But they're trudging up a mountain in the snow. Um, so I'm get, and they're all wearing the same color clothes, kind of a light cloak, which is akin to what we saw Galadriel wearing mm-hmm. when she's climbing the ice. And we'll see in some future shots while you know she's on hunting on an ice mission. So this is Galadriel and her crew. So this is the first time we've seen Galadriel with a crew. You know, we knew uh, when she was climbing that ice wall, there was at least like one or two other elves behind her. So, all right, we knew she was with some folks. But her crew, her gang, has at least 10 people, including her. She's got So she's got a street gang of 10 elves, all in matching, you know, gang colors, which is white and silver. All right. Galadriel's gang. White and silver gang colors. I prefer uh, posse. Oh, posse. All right. This is, hey, this is a Western. This could be a Western. Are they (laughs) in Western Middle Earth? The real question is, what are they doing? Are they hunting down the remnants of Sauron? Which I kind of think they are because in the next, you know, a scene we'll get to shortly, there's the dialogue, you know, it's time to put down your sword. Yeah. Hang up your sword. She sticks her sword in the ice. So it used to be we really thought this could be her crossing the Helcaraxe, first coming to Middle right. Earth, that first but venture. It's not but that. We don't. I don't think it's that anymore. Right. I think it's pretty well accepted that she is now in sort of the north of Middle Earth. Right. Trying to hunt down the remnants of Morgoth's forces. Yeah. I the unanswered question for me is why she's going north. I mean the the obvious answer would be well because that's where Morgoth had his lair. Um, he was sort of mm-hmm. primarily occupying the north, but he was occupying the north of Beleriand, not the north of what remains in the Second Age necessarily. Um, now, it could be that, okay, when Beleriand swept away, his remnants would still be, to the extent they're still in the world, they're in the north somewhere because they were in the north before, so the remnants mm. would be in the north. So, But I'm curious, you know, what information did she get that brought her north? You know, is it a vision? Uh, did she hear a traveler speak of, you know, oh, I came across a troll or whatever? Whispers what, what of brings a Galadriel? fear. Oh, Sorry, I'm just going to keep the inserting the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a roll. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're finding some good spots. 
But yeah, the next, as the camera pans up, we see ba ba da ba, an eagle. I missed it the first few times, and then I finally caught it. I watched the trailer just on repeat maybe three times when it first came out. Yeah. And then the third time, I was like, oh, that's an eagle. We're going to see right. the eagles, the eagles. You know, who knows if this may be the only glance we get, but hopefully, hopefully we see more of them. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, this is Tolkien's greatest hits. You know, we, we've seen the Ents. We've seen the Eagles. And, and later in this, we're going to see a big wolf, which I would guess might be a warg of some it's kind. It's a warg. It definitely yeah. looks like a warg. Definitely yeah. looks like a warg. Too big to be a normal wolf. So they're just grabbing all the different beasts. We should do a whole episode on the sort of like additional beasts and birds and little uh, creatures that are anthropomorphic. That is, yeah, did I right, say that right? right. Yeah, <laughs> anthropomorphic. You got it. Characters. Um, yeah, we should do a whole episode on those because those are a lot of fun. But the fact that there is an eagle flying around makes me think this might actually be the Misty Mountains because yeah. at least in the Third Age, don't if I remember correctly, don't they have like an Eyrie in the Misty Mountains? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to yeah. go with yes. I don't know. Because they, they pick up the dwarves after they escape from oh, the Misty yes. Mountains, right? Yes. And um, take them back to their Eyrie, which, you know, was far away, but not that far away. Yeah, true. So um, this could be the Misty Mountains that they're walking through, which would, again, okay, why are they in the Misty Mountains then, if not the north? I just don't, I don't know their motives yet. I don't so know the game questions, plan. So many questions, so many questions. So many questions, so little answers. So if you came on this pod expecting answers, you are going to be disappointed. Just more questions. Um, I feel like we next... already talked about the, oh, wait, no, we didn't. This shot, beautiful. Beautiful. Nothing to, you know, this is a shot of um, what appears to be Linden. And you can tell because of the golden color of the leaves and trees, um, the architecture. You know, we've seen Linden before in other teasers. This is Linden and it's just gorgeous. It, they really got it right here with the architecture. Very it, reminiscent of Rivendell. Very much reminiscent of Rivendell and especially the way that they're shooting it. Yeah. I mean, I guess in actuality, Rivendell is reminiscent of Linden because... That's probably why Elrond designed it the way he did. Right? Yes, um, but just the the forest tapestries and the view and the sweeping camera angle—it's all beautiful. It all looks like we want it to look. Um, and yeah, some of these still shots, like as you said, could be a painting. They're just yeah, pretty stunning. Mm -hmm. All right, here we get our first shot of Casa Doom. And let's just talk about all the Cause of Doom shots here. I am blown away. The All the Dwarven sets and the Dwarven design continues to be, I think, some of the best design locations, you know, set pieces um, that we've seen so far. I mean, and that comes right off the heels of just talking about how beautiful Linden is. And I love the stuff that they're doing with the elves. I can't imagine them topping it. But then they go and show us Cause of Doom. And I, I think it might top it. It is absolutely incredible. And totally differs from what I would have imagined Casa Doom looking like. Very unique. Lots of green. Lots yeah. of water. Lots of green. You see hanging leaves here. We'll see that in, in the, the next shots. Um, this is a vibrant, verdant cave. You can tell they really thought about what would it really look like if they were mining so deep into a mountain. You know, what would it actually look like? What nature would be incorporated into that endeavor? Yes. Yeah, it's very cool looking. And uh, the 
man this is yeah this is the dwarves time to shine because yeah let's just should we just talk about the dwarves now i mean we talked about the shots but yeah you really get so much more dwarvish culture dwarvish dialogue do we think that they're discovering neithril in that scene where he has a substance in his hand like what looks like a, a rock and then he tries to smash it I think so. Well, I think that the the rock breaking scene is, I think it is the test of strength. You know, we we oh. heard from Fellowship of Fans that when Elrond goes to the Dwarves of Casa Doom, you know, trying to build up an alliance or whatever, you know, he's kind of the young politician, and so he's trying to build up the relationship between the two peoples. That there's some acrimony, and he gets roped into a test of strength, which I think a lot of like I'm still kind of not understanding how that's going to play out. It sounds kind of weird, it's kind of goofy, but uh, I think that rock breaking, we were told or led to believe that that rock breaking is part of that test of strength. But I do like your proposition that it's not part of that test of strength, but it's really um, that they are discovering Mithril, and I think there's some support for that. Because we get a shot of Durin, young Durin, playing played by Owain Arthur, holding up a gem, a nugget of some kind. It just looks like silver rock. And boy, if that isn't Mithril, I don't know what else it could be. Yeah. Um, and I love what he says there. He says something like, this could be the start of a new... or This could be the beginning of a new era. Could be the beginning of a new era. So discovering, you know, this revolutionary substance mm-hmm. um, would make sense there. Yeah, and I think that's really important because let's let's speculate like the context in which that's coming up. So they're the idea is they're discovering Mithril for the first time, which I feel like they probably discovered it quite a bit earlier because Casa Doom was already a vibrant and thriving uh, center of you know the dwarven world since the first age and i if i remember correctly and this is kind of off the top of my head i'm pretty sure mithril had been discovered long before but you know the word mithril is an elvish word and Celebrimbor actually named it mithril you know it could be we could see the naming of mithril you know they're, they're going to do it so all right they discover it and they work with Celebrimbor to to work it and Celebrimbor names it so i think that that's kind of what we're seeing there and you know we talk about I think we see a pattern of greed being people's downfall in Tolkien and especially the dwarves. You know, we see that with the lonely mountain somewhat that's sort of implied. Um, that's certainly what happens with the dwarves of Casa doom. They delve too greedily and too deep and they awaken something in the deep. Well, this is going to be the beginning of that delving. You know, they discover the Mithril. Now they can't get enough. So I, I think it's um, kind of cool. We get to see that, that beginning. Very cool. Very cool um, way to establish the relationship, too, between the elves and the dwarves, if that's what happens, if they work on the Mithril together. Um, Yeah, I really like the scenes of Elrond being escorted into into the Mines of Moria. Those are, and he's sort of astounded. Like, there's a brief shot where the look on his face, he's sort of looking back and it's like, yeah, this place ain't half bad. Yeah. I, I thought dwarves <laughs> were like ugly and stupid and yeah. uh, incompetent. So we're looking now at another one of the images of Moria. And so in terms of the design, again, I am just flabbergasted by this. Um, and I really want to go back to all the green that's in there. 
it is very different from the dwarven designs that we've seen in the Lord of the Rings and especially in the Hobbit. Um, in the Hobbit, you know, that's the first time we see a, a recent dwarven kingdom because we see the Lonely Mountain. And I'm okay with the fact that dwarven designs are very angular, right? You know, okay, angular geometry, metal rock, you know, we're still going to do sharp angles. That's the aesthetic they did, that John Howe decided to go with, John Howe and Alan Lee. And I'm fine with that. But it was very, very heavy-handed in The Hobbit. Like, everything is just metal and triangles and, and squares and columns that are straight up and down. There's no curves. Everything is just straight lines. Here, this is very different. I mean, you look at these shots of Casa Doom, and the paths are winding. You know, there's almost no rhyme or reason to the the direction the different streets are going and the different alleyways and and it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's far more complex than I would have imagined uh, the Dwarven Kingdom to be. And it also is very, very consistent in my mind with the ruins of the Mines of Moria that we see in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like definitely. it's hard to look it's hard to look at the Mines of Moria scenes in, in the Fellowship of the Ring and imagine that that was ever a community because it's like all these bizarre winding pathways and um, really super steep stairs and it's, it's like and there's still like stalagmites and uh, coming down from the ceiling and there's like short spaces between the stairs and the ceiling You're like this doesn't make sense at all um, but then you look at these shots and you start to see you can imagine how this after you know a millennia of decay could turn into that yeah they uh, really resurrected it in beautiful, a powerful way yeah yeah beautiful. yeah and there's domes and there's there's Oh, it's just it's just so complex. I want to live in Casa Doom, really. Like this is now probably my my favorite city I've seen. I think. Yeah, that's that's well known. That's well known. (laughs) But uh, I like the dwarven armor too. We see these dwarves escorting Elrond through. They have some really killer axes, heavy mail, and uh, and helmets. Um, And it's not at all over the top. Again, the design of the dwarves and the Hobbit is a little bit like a little extra, you know. Peter Jackson and, and the squad put a little bit of spin on the ball in those movies in terms of the design. And um, these dwarves are a little like more serious, more gritty in terms of their armor and mail and design. So let's talk about Galadriel's brother. At least I assume it's his brother. We get two really interesting shots of a dwarf, not a dwarf, uh, an elf with black hair, finally <laughs> with black hair. Climbing the ice wall, um, and this is the same type of shot we, you know, when we saw Galadriel climbing the ice wall in the very first t- teaser. He's clearly on that same, you know, uh, expedition with her, and he's got black hair. And I've been sort of worried <laughs> for a while now that they would never adhere to the, you know, Noldor elves generally have black hair rule, uh, because Elrond has light hair, Celebrimbor has light hair, and they're both supposed to be of Nolder in stock, although El- Elrond's a bit mixed. So, but Celebrimbor definitely should have had black hair. So I was like, all right, maybe they're just not going to worry about that at all. But we, uh, Galadriel's brother here definitely has dark hair. We're going to see some other dark-haired folks later on. So, all right, I'm going to get my black-haired Noldor, Noldor and Elves. Not that I really care, but sometimes it's just nice for your headcanon to pan out <laughs> the way you expect. Um, but uh, what do you think of, of this character and this brother that we're going to see? Do is this the same person? This person on the, who's standing at the top of the cliff with her and um, yes. dialoguing with yes. her. 
Yes. Okay, so I'm really glad we get to see that that brother, and we probably won't see him for very long, <laughs> is my feeling. Um, but I think it's really cool to see her, with, you know, get that family history of Galadriel's because we really don't get any of that in Lord of the Rings. Um, right. So, are you sure it's the brother? That's my question. I, and I was going to say that. I am could assuming it be, it's her brother. Could it it's... be? Uh, here's an interesting theory. What if that is Celeborn? I could see them doing that. I could see them doing a Celeborn spin where he sort of has followed her, but he's like, all right, it's time to hang it up. Well, that would be an interesting switch. Um, I mean... Celeborn, I can't remember if he's specifically described as having blonde hair. Um, he's, you know, a, a Sindarin elf, so he's but not I mean, I of don't the know Noldor. If they're he- adhering to stuff like that. Maybe they are. That's true. Maybe so, not. yeah, let's just throw that the descriptive stuff out the window, and this could be Celeborn, you know, following her. Because certainly they should be together at this point. They met in the First Age, so they should be together. Yes. And where has he been? We haven't seen him. No, that we know of. I mean, it's possible that we have seen him, but we just don't know it. Mm-hmm. I want to see the love story play out personally. You do? You want to see a Galadriel love story? A love triangle maybe with uh, Killer Bimbor? Yes, I thought that would always, I always thought that would be part of it. I'm surprised. I feel like it's a missed opportunity if they don't have that somewhere. I guess talking about Celeborn, there is a shot here that, I, I think there is a character that could be Celeborn. And so we have here a shot of Galadriel, I think, on the ship. And there is a male figure behind her. In the last teaser, there was a, a male figure behind her that was looked a lot like the male figure that was in the ice cave in the very first tre- teaser as well. So I, I think it's a male elf that's been with her on her expeditions. And this elf has lighter hair, which is why I'm sort of gravitating towards him. Um, let's say they do adhere to you know, what people would expect Caliborn to look like. That character could be could be Caliborn, perhaps. So maybe he's been there the whole time, but we just you know we never know. We don't know who that character is. It's never been confirmed. But uh, my guess is if Caliborn is here, that that is him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he doesn't get shipwrecked. Well. It it just there's so many questions if that's Celeborn, right? Like because we think probably right after that she ship she they shipwreck, what happens to him? I mean we're just Right. We're just not really sure. But I just hope he makes an appearance in the series. I, I think they have to include him. But then again, you you just never know. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. And it would <laughs> They really be doing Celeborn dirty. People like to joke that he's just Galadriel's like trophy husband, you know, that he's not worthy of Galadriel's greatness. But he is a cool character, you know. He's a kinsman of of Thingol. He is an ancient elf. Granted, he never went to Valinor, didn't see the light of two trees, so he's like, you know, a step below um those elves. The but uh He's a, he's a pretty good dude, and people keep treading on my Caliborn. So if he gets, like, completely excised from this show, that would be, man, sorry, Caliborn, RIP, you know? Well, I think <sighs> people would be upset about them, like, cutting characters that are, you know, have substance to them because they've added so many characters that are just right. completely invented. Um, but I don't know. There's no rules here, folks, so we'll see what they what they do. Um, right. 
I do want to talk about quickly because we're we've got a lot, you know, to cover. We're gonna wrap it up soon. But the the scene where she says, "You do not know what I have seen," or "You have not seen what I have seen." The flash of the battle scene we have to talk about. We haven't talked about. Oh that. yes, yeah. Because it looks so, like a briefly con- before we get to that, um, if we wrap this up this conversation about the character that may or may not be her brother so here's the shot you're talking about of them on on the mountaintop and she you know she's jammed her sword into the snow and he's standing before her and they're talking i do notice that they have identical swords Mm. which maybe every member of the gang gets a matching sword i mean they have matching capes and outfits so (laughs) maybe you know (laughs) not only do they have matching outfits but they get matching swords that could be the case or maybe these are members of her family you know the house of whatever um so they all have matching swords i don't know it's hard to say but i do just want to note that they have matching swords and these swords indeed are insane in length like in terms of the handle it still makes no sense how freakishly long the handles are um and impractical right a little bit it's a it's a waste (laughs) they you know because it looks so we were speculating because on the cover of the Esquire magazine, they showed this massively long handle, but she was sitting. So the, we're like, oh, the sword should be like six feet long and going through the ground. That makes no sense. But you look at this picture of the sword in the snow. Now, I don't know how far lo- how far into the snow she jammed it, but the handle of the sword is basically the same length as the sword blade that's still sticking out of the, right. the, the snow. Yeah. So. I'm not sure about the dimensions here. The matching swords, matching regalia makes me think it is that you're right and it is her brother, but it's another one of those mysteries. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I think there's two things we want to talk about. Harfoots and, you know, Galadriel on Mars. Which one do you want to take first? Um, Let's take... Galadriel on Mars. And I feel like we already talked about the Harfoots, unless you have something to add. Well, okay, I'll be real brief. The one thing I want to talk about the Harfoots is, so we saw a shot of men in their fields, you know, fields of grain or whatever it is that the the dialogue says. And so we see men in thatched houses and um, they're farming or whatever. And then it cuts to the Harfoots and they're hiding in the grass and they have their, you know, straw headgear. And in that context, in that scene, it becomes extremely obvious that the reason for the crazy straw headgear is because they're hiding. They're blending in. Which makes me understand a lot better now why all the shots of the Harfords we've gotten, they have like nuts and twigs and berries in their yeah, hair. Yeah, people hated on that so People hard. hate it. Like, it's so stupid. But oh, it There's makes so reason. much sense now. They are hiding. And in yes. every, every little piece of marketing materials we've seen and heard about the Harfords, talks about them how they're like you know very good at at staying isolated and staying unseen and so all their garb is designed to hide them and their plain clothes are sort of foresty colored to blend into that environment they have all the straw head pieces and things they may be decorative also they have like decorative versions of it because we see sort of a ceremony we saw a picture like that but its source is um, from their need to stay hidden and that's great. I love I it. It's so thoughtful. It's really yeah. them thinking about what what are they wearing? What's it's practical and it's aesthetically looks cool and 
you know, people are like, oh, it's campy or whatnot. I'm like, you know what? Hobbits are a little bit campy in the original. <laughs> just right. a little bit. Like, it's like a little bit campy. fantastical and it's fantasy. So get over it. And it, it. explains <laughs> one of the weirdest things we've seen, which is the the Harfoots walking around with giant antlers. Yeah, yeah. Again, they're hiding. They're blending in because seen from a distance when they're out in the open in these open fields, now they're not as easily identifiable as Harfoots or people. People from a distance would think they're animals. Um, and so I think that is the purpose of those things. Or the other reason could be that they're just transporting the antlers back to their settlement and that's how you carry them. That was sort of the explanation I'd been going with. But I think... I like better the idea that they use them as camouflage. Yeah. Yeah. They are the chameleons of the Middle Earth. If you're enjoying Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, you really should check out our Wheel of Time podcast hosted by Rourke Garmston. Rourke is a Wheel of Time expert and each week breaks down the latest episode from Amazon's adaptation of the Wheel of Time with a panel of brilliant and funny guests who have never read the books. If you've already read the Wheel of Time books, this podcast will be fun for you because you'll get to experience the show through the eyes of first-timers. And if you're new to the Wheel of Time universe yourself, then Watch Party Wheel of Time is really perfect because there are no spoilers. That's right. Watch Party Wheel of Time gives you spoiler-free analysis and discussion of each episode. Check it out today, available on every major podcasting platform. Watch Party Wheel of Time. Uh, okay. Gladwell on Mars. WTF is this. I mean, this is this was the other than the two trees. These two shots were were the most memorable. Um, you know, we get a shot of a close up shot of Galadriel's face, and this is shown in the middle of the dialogue between her and Elrond, where El, where she says, "You haven't seen what I've seen." Elrond says, "I've seen enough," and Galadriel says, "You haven't seen what I've seen." And then it cuts to her, and all red, clearly. In the middle of a battle, there's fiery sparks flying. She's covered in what I assume is ash, looking uh, a little bummed. <laughs> and she's in her armor. You know, she, her hair's all messed up. She's got, I guess, a spear next to her. That's what I assume that is. Or maybe it's the handle of her sword, but at an angle so you can't see the hilt. Um, and and then it cuts to, in similarly saturated red lighting, a bunch of, I assume, elves, but just people floating I you know this is underwater clearly and it's red everywhere you can see the outline of buildings that are now underwater and but are they're also on fire I guess I mean let the theories run wild Jen what do you think this could be it could there's a number of things it could be Run through them and uh, let me know which one you think it is I mean what could it be it it is first of all the shot itself is so evocative and powerful. It's so violent. And it looks like a John Howe, but it's also like more dramatic. I mean, in the foreground is a person with a giant spear Spear through their torso. torso. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's, when you look at it for at first, I was thinking, well, there's so much fire, fire, ash and fire that I thought, okay, the battle of sudden flame, the Dagor Bragalak. Maybe she's remembering or recalling that, recounting that, or maybe it's um, the kinslaying at, at Aqualone Day. What would I was trying to think about? What would be um, most relevant to Galadriel because she's speaking right, right. 
and um, it would have to be. And some- the implication of when they, you know, they show these scenes right after her saying, "You haven't seen what I've seen." The implication is that that both of these shots, not just the one with her face, but the next one that comes after, that she was there for this. You know, she was present. So I, I'm not really sure uh, which one. I think uh, all of them would be plausible. Well, let's run through them real quickly. So the Kinslaying was the first time that Elf slew Elf. This is when Fanor led the, the Noldoran people out of Valinor to chase after Morgoth and run down the Silmarils. And they wanted the, tel- the ships of the Teleri to get to Middle-earth. They wouldn't give them. And so Fanor and company slew everybody and stole the ships. And that was the first, you know, great scene, great sin of the first age, not committed by Morgoth, at least. Galadriel was there for that. She came upon the battle late. She tried to stop the battle, but she couldn't stop it, obviously, single-handedly. And she was, you know, also her mother was Teleri, so uh, she didn't want to have any part of that. But she would have been present for that. And so it makes a lot of sense that this might be from that scene because of all the water. There's a lot of elves floating lifeless in the water. And we know that in that battle, the Teleri were slain and thrown in the water because it happened on the Haven. So, okay, it could be that. Now, this is a lot of red for that type of scene uh, and a lot of fire. Now, maybe some of the ships were lit on fire or the the buildings of the Teleri were lit on fire. That could be what this is. So that might fit. And as you said, it would be very relevant to Galadriel because this she would have been there and would have been a very important moment in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, another option would be, and we'll just run through the big ones, the War of Wrath, as you mentioned, that's the very end of the first age. That's when the Valar and the Vanyar elves from Valinor march on over and kick Morgoth's butt. And a byproduct of the War of Wrath, and the War of Wrath lasted a long time. It lasted several years. There were lots of battles. So it could be, this could be just any random scene from uh, any battle that had occurred. <laughs> really, it could be any first age battle with Morgoth that happened somewhere where there was water. Um, because we don't know if these buildings are also submerged or if they're above the water and we're looking up. It's it's really kind of impossible to tell. Um, but the War of Wrath makes a lot of sense because at the conclusion of the War of Wrath, the consequence of everything that happened was that all of Beleriand was submerged under the, the water. And it certainly looks like what could be happening here is we see a city and it looks like potentially this entire city is submerged. And so really the only time I could think of in the history of Middle-earth when an entire city is submerged um, would be in the War of Wrath with the sinking of Beleriand or the downfall of Numenor. Now, I don't want to rule out Numenor, but if we assume that this has to be uh, an event that Galadriel was present for, it's got to be the War of Wrath would be, of those two, the only thing that you'd be present for, right? I think so. And also, it makes sense that this is indeed an, account- an encounter with Sauron because she's trying to say, look, like this guy, I know this guy. I've seen the horrors that this enemy has, has right. wrought upon my people. And so I think that it would make, it would definitely make sense that it was an encounter rather than being, it being a kinslaying where elf slew elf. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, th- I think, I think, I really feel strongly that this entire city is submerged because, you know, you look up towards the top of the picture and you see all this, what at first looks like um, flotsam and jetsam. But if you look closely, I, th- I think that's, those are all people, mm-hmm. you know, dead elves, dead, dead humans, you know, we mm-hmm. don't know which, but 
Yeah, it's pretty it's gruesome. All people. It's pretty gruesome. And if that's the case, then they're floating like above the buildings, which would mean the buildings are all are submerged. submerged. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Another theory that I like is that this is the Dagger Bragalak, um, which is, as you said, the batter, Battle of Sudden Flame. And let me back this up because this theory comes in two parts. First of all, it doesn't have to be the case that both of these shots, the shot of Galadriel and the shot of all the elves submerged in the water, have to be from the same event. Um, we know from a Variety article that described the trailer, it said that Galadriel saw visions. Okay, And we also know that she has a certain amount of foresight. In The Lord of the Rings, there's the mirror of Galadriel. So let's put on the table the potential that we could not only be seeing an event that she was at, but an event that she wasn't at, that she had visions of. Uh, so like foreknowledge, it could be she is seeing the downfall of Numenor. She's not there, but she's seeing it. And the saturated red is sort of like a way of telling the viewer that this is a vision. Hmm. So this isn't fire, actually, even though maybe there is some fire, but the super saturated. I mean, this is more than just like reflected flame, right? Reflected firelight mm-hmm. um, in both shots of her and and of all these people floating. I think it's more than just reflected firelight. And this is this ultra saturation. It could be indicative that this is a vision, uh, which means that maybe she wasn't didn't need to actually be present for this. Um, and so maybe the shot of. Uh, of her where she's all ashy is a different time, a different event that she's remembering than this vision of whether it's the downfall of Numenor or the war of wrath or whatever. Um, and so maybe what she's the one where she's all ashy. I like the idea of that being the uh, dagger Bragalak because a, she's ashy. So we know that there were dragons and mm. it was a bit of a surprise. Okay. Is the battle of sudden flame and Morgoth had been hiding out for years and years and years. And the elves thought basically that they had won. They had subdued him, that he would never come out um, because they were so strong and so good. And they'd been kicking his butt that he was just hiding out and he would never come out ever. But actually he was just biding his time and marshalling his forces. And because they had never actually thrown down the walls of Thangaradrim and rooted out the cellars and everything, he was basically in there doing his mad scientist experiments for years and years and he created dragons. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, he issued forth and dragons burst out and they're like, what the F is this? You know, and they're so the dragons are just blowing the crap out of everyone. A bunch of Balrogs come out, all of his armies. So they call it the Battle of Sudden Flame for a reason. And, you know, and I'm imagining Game of Thrones when Daenerys is using her dragons to just blow the Lannister armies to bits and the way all that ash just coats mm. Jamie Lannister. I think we get a similar image here of, you know, Galadriel covered in ash. Could be two different battles. Could be the same battle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lots. Well, and we've also seen, you know, the additional piece of evidence that, to support my theory. And this is not just my theory. I, um, I really like uh, Dan from Voice of Geekdom, who's appeared on a pod before, v- knows the lore really well. We were chatting on Twitter, and he said, "Yeah, I really think this is the Dagger Bragalak." And one of the pieces of support for that is we have seen a shot of Finrod in a first stage battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was alive during the Dagger Bragalak. He was not alive during the War of Wrath. Mm. And so it would make sense if the flashback to the First Age that we're seeing here with Galadriel, you know, all ashy, might actually be the same battle that we see flashback for Finrod. Like, it makes sense that that happens kind of at the same time. And that... uh, And that's the battle where, like, you know, Finrod gets saved by Barahir and, and thus starts the kinship you know the the oath of loyalty between finrod and, and the houses of house of bear here 
So it's a really important first stage battle. But so Finrod was there at the Dagger Bragalak. So if it makes sense that they'd be at the same battle, then it makes sense that this red shot of Galadriel and Mars is actually her at the Battle of Sudden Flame. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's certainly going to be action packed based on this trailer. It's just going to be, are they going to strike the right balance between action-packed movie and thoughtful, more contemplative, softer moments? And that's the balance that I think Tolkien himself really struck. I mean, it was far more, it it was really not, you know, it doesn't read like an action. No. He glosses right over the battle scenes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, even though there's going to be a lot of action here, we see shots of big battles but like this shot of all the elves floating uh in the water that's not an action shot that's like the aftermath right and it's slow-mo but in this right but in this trailer we do see action shots where there's a numenorean army charging into battle and galadriel said yeah, the head right we didn't even right. get to that mainly because i'm like what's that <laughs> galadriel <laughs> right. is the leading an army charging in a battle um mystery right. question mark another question mark folks but um <laughs> but so we can't stop before we talk about, we do see, get one glimpse of Adar. Oh, Boom. Yes. At the head of an orc army crossing the bridge. Um, and I think I'm confident that this is the same bridge that leads to the watchtower that Arendir is on that we've seen in a couple of promo shots. Um, and he's at the head of this army. And we know, and I'll talk about this in an episode. I've already recorded with the Reading Tolkien pod guys where we go through all the orc stuff. Um, there are some familiar orc characters, some orc characters that get spotlighted, and you can kind of see them in the crowd here. They're, uh, you know, their helms are very recognizable. Um, but it is Adar. It's just a shadowy figure. We still don't get a very good up close look at him, and he's going to be the primary antagonist of this season. And we still have seen nary hide nor hair of him in any of these the promo stuff. This is the only shot we get, and it is he's not in focus. He's tiny. Um, you wouldn't even know he's there if you weren't looking for him. So I would bet the next trailer gives us more Adar because if he's going to be the primary antagonist, they're going to have to reveal him at some point. Mm-hmm. I think they revealed a a poster or an image yes. of him. We'll talk Comic-Con, about. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about next time. So man, we could we could go on. This is just a gorgeous trailer. We could go on and on and on for hours, and I kind of want to, but thankfully you're here here to rein me in. Well, there's some repeat <laughs> shots, you know, that we've already seen that I think we've we've discussed. There are a couple repeat shots, you know, of Numenor, of the Hobbit watching the Meteor Land. Um, we didn't even talk about Meteor Man. I'll briefly say that the fire imagery at the very end. Just it's I I I just the pendulum keeps swinging for me. I'm thinking, well, wait a second. There was some uh, comments trending that that looks like an, the eye of Sauron in one of those shots. Um, yep. That that kind of made me think my original theory was correct, or my or what I had thought that this could definitely be Sauron coming in disguise. I don't know. But I really don't know. Now, I mean, I just, man, I go back and forth and back and forth. I really thought it was a blue wizard. And now with I do see the Eye of Sauron at the end. So uh, all very confusing. Anyway, we don't have the answer. I didn't see. The, is it really strongly Eye of Sauron-y? Yes. Once, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Huh. 
because I obviously see a fiery circle, but I don't see, I, I didn't notice the eye element to it. That's interesting. I mean, certainly, I think this confirms doubly and triply that this is some kind of Maiar, right? And, which would make sense that it's a blue wizard. We've talked about blue wizards. I think it's a blue wizard because he comes down in a meteor and doesn't die. <laughs> and there's a big fiery blaze. And it certainly looks like he reverses the fire, like he puts it out. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at that that scene here. And he just very... Oh. Do you see it? So oh, Do you see that? My. Do you see it? Oh my goodness. Do you see that? Doesn't that look like an eye or am I imagining this? Other people <sighs> have said this. All right. It, it does look eyeish. It does look very eyeish. But that would just be too cute if they're actually doing that. Like why would Sauron in a former like he's going to he forgets who he is and he comes out on a meteor, why would it actually become an eye like We've talked about this before. He's not really an eye. It's not really a thing. Yeah. It just refers to like maybe, the power of his maybe will. Maybe that's just a... It would be too cute. Yeah. Maybe we're all just diving a little too deep on this, but... But it's some sort of wizard. Some sort of wizard, Some no sort doubt. of wizard. No doubt about it. Okay. And, boy, there's just so much good stuff in here. Oath of Fanor. Can we mention Oath of Fanor? Let's... Why don't we... <laughs> Well, I was gonna, we I was <laughs> going to suggest you do that in the Grey Havens because I don't have a Grey Havens for today. Like you should explain okay. to folks what the Oath of Feanor is, first of all, for those not familiar. And second of all, why you think this is the Oath of Feanor briefly flashed in the scene where the elves are holding their swords up. It's altogether. so quick. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's like, so quick. It's like one second. But I think you're right about it. Yeah. I mean, it could be. OK, it could be any oath type of moment any like three musketeers all for one let's go do but that's battle the like, one there we could know be a about, lot of excuses and that one is very relevant to galadriel it's relevant to galadriel it's also relevant to Celebrimbor because he's actually you know fanor's grandson and one of these dudes is his daddy um so this would be equally more important to Celebrimbor even than to galadriel and it's really important to all the Noldor and elves because it shaped the fate and history of the first age but um, the Oath of Feanor, just to be real quick. So we've already talked about Feanor leads the group. I'm just jamming the Grey Havens right in the middle of the episode. I know. I was like, um, <laughs> the middle? <laughs> it's but, 11 at uh, night. <laughs> but he, so he says, I want to go to Middle Earth, chased after Morgoth because he stole my Silmarils and I want my Silmarils back. He stole my toys and I want my toys back. And... And the Valar are like, you shouldn't go. And he's like, but daddy, I want to go. And everybody's like, hey, it seems like a good idea. We should go. Fanor says we should go, even though daddy says we shouldn't go. Because Fanor is like the most dramatic. <laughs> he he swears an oath, basically. And like oaths have power in in Middle Earth. You the don't mess like, around with, you don't willy nilly just swear an oath. Cause no, be it's like, and oath. not only does he swear an oath, he like calls on Iluvatar and basically says like, Papa Luvatar, if I break this oath, you can smite me down forever type of deal. The oath is to pursue Morgoth to the ends of the earth to reclaim the Silmarils. And the oath extends not only to Morgoth, but to any person who may withhold the, the Silmarils from them. And this, of course, shapes the tragedy of the first age because, um, and it results in the second kinslaying and the third kinslaying because the sons of Feanor take this oath, his seven sons, 
take this oath and they are bound to it for the rest of their lives and they commit horrible deeds. Um, they kill lots of elves in their pursuit of the Silmarils. Basically anyone who has a Silmaril, they're like, give it back. And if the person's like, nah, they're like, okay, you're dead. <laughs> um, and so here we get a very, very brief shot, a panning shot. We see four or five male elves all looking very similar, dark hair, identical armor, dope swords, raising their sword and in sort of like a what looks to be some sort of ceremonial chamber. I don't know that's the right word. It almost looks like a religious temple uh, at night. There's stars up there. And they're all bringing out their swords and pointing them towards the center. So they're like standing in a circle and they're raising their the swords to the center. And that seems like a ceremony to me because they all look alike and there's so many of them. You know, we don't see all seven, but I'm assuming that th- these are the sons of Feanor swearing the oath. And um, I am, again, shocked that we were seeing this much First Age material because it's like relevant backstory, but you don't need to see it to understand the story that's being told. I would I would almost much rather that a lot of this stuff be hinted at like for a long time, for a lot of seasons before we get any actual glimpse or flashback of it. I think that would be more rewarding than getting it all up front. But I'm still excited to see it and I'll, I'll, I'll love it. And this is a really cool looking scene. I'm glad they're using so much material from the book and that they have, per- you know, they clearly have the permission of the Tolkien estate to use it i think the more background we get the better and the more things that are directly from the book the better and we're seeing that here we're seeing we think we're seeing that here right 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 um yeah yeah i guess i'm just a uh, i'm just more like a less is more type of person you know like we all think we want to see the thing and have it shown to us like right away but I want to be teased for seasons, you know, and I want it to be drawn out. And, you know, so that when it fi- when I finally get to eat that meal, I am hungry enough that I just I think they're going to do that. Joy. With, I think they're going to do that with certain certain yeah. characters and no, certain aspects right. of the show, like Sauron. I think we're they're going to drag that out. Yeah, so, yeah that's going to be very a slow burn. Very dragged we'll get, the, we'll get yeah. the slow burn. Yeah. Um, the last very le- I swear. I swear, the last thing I want to mention. I love the little clip we get of Arandir being a circus acrobat kicking the crap out of a warg. You have to have an elf doing something like that. It wouldn't be right. Yeah. Yeah, just like a little bit, just a taste. Just a little bit. As long as the physics makes sense. (laughs) He's not like swinging opposite of the way he should be swinging, like uh, Legolas swinging up the, the, the Oliphant. But I love wargs. They're one of my favorite little evil uh, beasts, you know, because they show up in The Hobbit and they're so prevalent in The Hobbit, like talking wolves. I love talking animals. We got none of it in Lord of the Rings. And even in The Hobbit, it's like we didn't see talking wargs there, right? I mean, I, granted, I didn't see those movies as many times but on purpose. <laughs> but the wolves that they ride, the wargs, I don't think they talk. Um, and maybe they just thought like, ah, talking. That's too fantastical. <laughs> You know, we can have all this other fantasy stuff, but talking animals, talking birds, got to cut that out. But I love the talking animals, and so I like the wargs. So I'm excited to see a warg, and I will be interested to see whether or not they decide to make them talk. Or at least understand It's just hard to execute well, but it would be interesting if they do that. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's a hard sell for folks. They could, they could make it like a, a bestial, guttural... 
sound that we can't understand, but that we could perceive is a speech between them. Hmm. You know, I would be into that. I don't need to understand what they're saying. I just want to know that they're talking to each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see them. But clearly, you know, this is another clip of Arendir. He's chained. So he, this is, he's a captive at some point. And there's another person. I don't know if it's an elf or another human. I think it's probably a human. One of the looks like a members human. of Bronwyn's village from Tirfarad, and they've been captured by the orcs. You know, maybe this is sport. They're like, hey, yeah. fight this warg for our enjoyment. And Arendir, because he's an elf, kind of Ooh. kicks him butt. But anyway, Barbaric. I was really very, very tickled to see that. I mean, it was muddy and dirty and, you know. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very cool scene, whatever it is. Chock full of cool stuff. We didn't even get to all of it, but I think we covered the major, major uh, parts of this trailer. If you're still listening, I'm so glad you came along for this ride. Please let us know what you think. Um, yes. You can write us at watchpartylotr at gmail.com. Um, you could tweet at us. You could Facebook us. You can Instagram us. All of that good stuff. So get in touch. We want to know what you think. Um, are you excited? Are you liking what you're seeing? Um, give us a shout out. Final question for you, Jen. This trailer, uh, one to ten, how would you rate it? And does it make you more or less excited? Oh, I'm gonna. I think I know your answer to this. I'm going to give it a nine because yeah. it absolutely served to get me really amped up. I'm excited. I want to see more. It wasn't perfect, but nothing's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It hit all the right notes for me um, in terms of the dialogue and the cinematography and the music. So I'm, I'm a pretty happy camper. Same question yeah. to you. I think I'm also at a nine, you know, maybe an 8.5 or nine. I was just very, very stoked when I saw mm-hmm. it. Uh, so much to like. I got really excited. I'm not giving it a 10 because you can't give anything a 10. I got to reserve it. You know, I got to re- reserve some space uh, for things that'll be better. But boy, this is the most exciting thing we've seen so far. Very well crafted mm-hmm. trailer in terms of creating a bit of a story and you know, everything else has just been like teasing us with little nuggets and we can d- get to deep dig into it for the lore purposes. But now we get some real narrative development mm-hmm. um, and I'm loving it. I got just so excited. I did almost no work today at my job. Hopefully nobody <laughs> from work is listening to this. I just couldn't focus. I really just could not focus. I was just thinking about this trailer all day long. It was outrageous. I definitely watched it an inordinate amount of times. <laughs> yeah yeah so and i would say i think we're kind of on a roll like this trailer is great the teaser before it was also very good we'll break down the article I, which was great and the images so stay tuned for that yeah so i've seen a lot less negative chatter yeah uh online in general so yeah thanks everyone for tuning in uh we had a great time as always and we will be coming back again we got an orc episode coming up again that we recorded with reading tolkien pod that's already in the can and i just gotta do some editing um, and we're going to be, Jen and I are going to be talking again about the, the Numenorian photos and article that came out last night as well. Um, so you will hear from us again very, very soon. And uh, the, the rate things are going. Amazon's probably going to dump another trailer on us tomorrow. I don't know. We're it's ready. Just, I, we I, are I, ready, folks. We are ramping up yeah. our content as well. So please follow, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. May the hair on your toes never fall.
Um, uh, can we do a Greyhaven's challenge here? Just, just yes, please. Okay, here's a challenge for our listeners. Last summer, I think it was last summer, I was talking about um, there's always a song, a song of the summer, a summer song, and you know there's always chatter and pop culture. What's the, what's the the song of the summer this summer? Well, many of you may have heard of the song Jiggle Jiggle. Is that what it's called? Have you heard this song, Michael? My money don't jiggle jiggle, it falls. I like to see you wiggle wiggle, for sure. It makes me want to dribble dribble, you know. In my, <laughs> my money don't jiggle jiggle. I have not heard of this song. Is this going to be another... Uh, By Duke and Jones and Louis Thoreau. It's the song of the summer. It's called Jiggle Jiggle. It's my money don't jiggle jiggle. It folds. I like to see you wiggle wiggle. Faux show. It's a ridiculous this, this song. Is a, it's a ridiculous... Another WAP situation. It's not as inappropriate. It's like rated G. It's... Yeah. But it's rated G for sure. Um, okay. But everybody's covering this song. So my challenge to you listeners is if you send us a recording of you covering Jiggle Jiggle, but a Lord of the Rings theme. So you could do like Gollum, you know, singing Jiggle Jiggles, but it has to be about the ring. If you send us um, a Lord of the Rings Jiggle Jiggle cover, we will play it on the pod. And also, oh my gosh, I will laugh really hard. So that's my. And challenge. we will send you something. I don't know what it is, but we're gonna have. We gotta give them some reward beyond that. Okay. Because I really you want. You will get a reward. To, to, you, you will get you will something. Get great rewards. <laughs> you'll get a shout out, but you'll get something else too. Oh my gosh. Something cool. I hope. <laughs> I'm. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, how about this? Uh, well. I was going to say Turnabout's Fair Play. So if someone sends in a jiggle, is it jiggle, jiggle? It's called is jiggle, the jiggle. And the, the guy has Good a British Lord. accent. He's like a reporter. He's a serious reporter who like. So jiggle, jiggle. He's like, no, it's, it a, it's a nice British accent. It's like, I like my money what, don't my British jiggle, jiggle. Nice? It, it <laughs> falls. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle for sure. Oh my God. Um, it's just the silliest thing I've ever heard, but it's gone. It went viral on TikTok and it's just everywhere now. Um, I'm not even on TikTok and I know this. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, that's your challenge for the week. Send it. Do it. Please. We'll please love do it. it. And with that, we will see you. We will be in your earbuds shortly with a new episode. We'll jiggle, jiggle into your earbuds in no time. Wiggle, wiggle. Push up.